Welcome to the Viewpoint Podcast with your host, Henry Grosek. Welcome to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grosek. It's been a great pleasure to welcome back to Viewpoints, Tanya DeJong AM. Tanya is, of course, the founder of Creative Universe, Creativity Australia, Dimensions 5, Music Theatre, Australia Entertainment and Events, Potpourri, the songroom and founder, executive producer of Creative innovation global and co-founder of mind medicine australia and in her role there's a film the musical driftwood coming out very soon and it's very exciting it's got some very powerful messages and we'll talk about that in a moment but firstly welcome again to viewpoints tanya de hello how are you I'm okay, thank you. How are you? I'm pretty okay too, and it's uh, it's always it's always exciting and uh, enjoyable having you on the program, Tanya. Because I mean, and we've discussed this off air in the past. You're one of those inspiring, creative people that does good, and uh, and you've got a big heart as well as uh, a lot of talent, and it's a great combination. And it's an honour to have you on the viewpoints. There you go. It's an absolute honour to be with you again. Uh, now. Where things have happened since the last time we were here, and something that we will start with is really exciting. And um, I must get your autograph one day, Tanya De Jong, because you star in <laughs> this musical, T- Driftwood, 18th to the 28th of May, Chapel of Chapel, and the 13th and 14th of May, Alexander Theatre. Can you just tell us a little bit about this world premiere directed by Wesley Enoch, and in which you and many other great people star? Absolutely. So Driftwood the Musical tells the epic story of my grandmother, Slava Horowitz, who invented the foldable umbrella in Vienna in 1929. Mm -hmm. And um, it was manufactured very successfully until 1939. In fact, it's still manufactured in the same Austrian factory today. But of course, in 19... Late 1938, the you know the Nazis Hitler came into Vienna, and my mum was only a few months old at the time. So my grandfather, who was a very well-known sculptor, and my grandmother, a well-known artist and of course inventor, um, miraculously got a passage out to Switzerland. They had bribed a border guard in exchange for sculpting his bust. They got three passages out three, you know, passes to get out to Switzerland. And they literally got out just a few days before the Nazis came and knocked at the door and took away pretty much the rest of our relatives. And sadly, um, most of those were, were killed in the Holocaust. But miraculously, my grandparents and my mum then fled to Singapore where they restarted their lives. But then they were um, asked to leave Singapore um, on the Queen Mary, the ship, uh, and I think it was 1940-ish, and they were set sail for Australia and um, and became enemy aliens interned at Chatura in northern Victoria. And they stayed in the internment camp for quite a long time until they were allowed back into the community to restart their lives from nothing, literally, um, with, you know, all their furniture and art, you know, still in Europe and so on. Miraculously, their art and sculpture was saved in a basement in Paris during the war by my grandmother's sister, Rella, 
and uh, her husband, Marcel. And eventually all of this furniture and um, the art and sculpture and all their belongings started to come back over the decades to where it is now in the Duldig studio, which is in Malvern East, which is a... Uh, a charitable organisation where my grandparents' art and the prototypes of the umbrellas and all of this cutlery and glassware and everything that was miraculously survived in the war came back. Not, not, not even a single glass was broken. <laughs> and uh, it is amazing. And so then they restarted their lives and um, my, my grandmother, Slava, you know, kept writing letters to Rella and for years and years they probably thought one another had had died. Um, eventually they found out that each of them was still alive and they kept corresponding until they saw one another one more time in Paris in 1968. So they basically said farewell in 1938, it was early 39, and then they never saw one another except for one more time in 1968 and then both of them passed away a few years later. So it's an extremely moving and powerful story of this terrible adversity that is the story that all of us as Jewish people have experienced. This is part of all of our DNA. It's part of all our, of our intergenerational trauma that our families have been through this. Yet there's an enormous element of hope and tenacity in this story and it's really an inspirational story that people can survive against all odds and that they can thrive again and rebuild their lives in spite of, you know, the terrible things that human beings do to one another sometimes. Mm -hmm. And we have an extraordinary cast and creative team. So we have an all-Jewish cast. So I'm playing the role of my grandmother, Slava, the inventor of the folding umbrella. Yes. And then we then we have Femme Belling who's playing the role of Rella um, and Anton Berezin who's playing the role of Carl, Slava's husband, the sculptor. Yeah. And we have Troy Sussman playing a variety of roles and we have Sarah Reid playing the role of Eva, my mother, and Anthony Barnhill, the extraordinary composer and music director who's conductor and musical director for Phantom of the Opera with Opera yes. Australia. So he's a, an emerging superstar. We have Wesley Enoch, the Indigenous theatre director, uh, directing Driftwood, and Jane Bodie has adapted my mother's book for the stage. And we have Charlotte Lane as the designer. It's, a, it's just an extraordinary creative team and cast. And uh, the world premiere season commences in Melbourne in May. Uh, May the 13th at the Alexander Theatre at Monash University, uh, 13th and 14th and so on at, at the Alexander Theatre, and then it transfers to Chapel Off Chapel for about 10 days in May as well. So that will be the world premiere season, and we're really hoping not only, obviously, to for people to, to really love the show and to, you know, sell the shows out, but we really hope that this show will not only travel all around Australia but also potentially, you know, have performances on the West End and Broadway and who knows where it might travel to some of the wonderful Jewish and other music and theatre festivals around the world. So very, very exciting. Uh, we've been working on this for four years. Uh, my mother launched her book about four years ago and I really shared the book with Wesley Enoch and he just immediately 
came up with sort of a number of uh, visualizations and ideas for putting the show on stage. And so he and Anthony Barnhill and I have been working on it really on and off for the last four years. Yes. And, um, but it's really a labor of love because, you know, it's my mum's story and it was, you know, her life's opus really. I mean, she started writing this in about 1968 when the two sisters actually had that final meeting and um, and then she published the book in 2017 through Scholarly Books um, and it, it was actually shortlisted for a literary award for a first-time female author as well <laughs> and she was, at, she was ne- nearly 80 at the time that the book was listed. <laughs> so, you know, it's um, – it's a really special thing to be able to celebrate your family's story in this way, but also in a way that shares this story with all the other people in our community who also share this story in different ways. And um, you played your mother in it. How did you find playing my grandmother? Sorry, my grandmother. No, I'm going to be playing the role of my grandmother. Yes. Yes. How did you find that experience? Well, I haven't done it yet, Henry, so it's not until May. But, um, like but you've in, been in, rehearsing. Oh, well, we only – no, we have only – we'll only really start rehearsing a few weeks before the season starts. But we have – yeah, we have caught up as a, as a group, um, as a cast together and so on. Well, how do I find it? We did a reading um, actually back at, at in early 2020, just before the pandemic hit, and I've got to say it was really hard to actually get through some of the lines. It is so moving. Yeah. Like you read some of these lines and you just – it just grabs you, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's a sort of piece of theatre that will grab people and the music is stunning. I mean, Anthony's compositions are – he's just such a talent. He's like, you know, Lloyd Webber and Mozart in the making. You know, he's just a, yeah. a, a stunning – He's only 26 years old and he's already done so much. And um, this is really his first major work as a composer. He's done a lot of musical direction. Yes. I mean, he's done lots of composing, but to actually compose a whole score effectively is, um, you know. We also use some music from the period. So we use some music from Vienna, some music from, you know, the war, the Second World War sort of era. But a lot of the music's original. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very beautiful. And of course, you're you're such an outstanding soprano singer. Um, are there particular mm-hmm. songs in there that stand out for you more than? Oh others? my goodness, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there are so many beautiful songs in here. I mean, I just said to Anthony the other day because I've been rehearsing with him some of the music, and it just it just really sits with you. You know, you know when you hear something and it just resonates with you, and it's it's very lyrical, and um, yeah, it just sits in your heart, the music. It's very heartfelt music. And, and um, I've written a lot of the lyrics to it as well as Jane Bodie has written some of the lyrics. So, so. And, and, and um, planning this and now towards the end of, of it and delivering it. And, it's, and you've done it under the spectre of COVID, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, that's, has that, how has that impacted? Because that of itself on all our lives has had quite a dramatic effect, Tanya. Yeah, I mean the pandemic has been um, has been dreadful, you know. Obviously, for anyone in the creative world and and in the events or entertainment sectors, uh, devastating, you know. For me, as a, as a performer, also as a speaker, because I do a lot of keynote speaking at conferences and events all over the world as well now. So, 
you know, probably well over 100 events postponed or cancelled. Um, you know, I've been presenting a lot of keynotes online, but it's not the same as being in a room with people. It never will be. <laughs> it doesn't matter how good the technology is. And I love those sort of immersive environments where you can actually connect with people and, um, you know, just really connect in real time rather than through a screen. And um, so it's been very hard to have lost all that work for me and many, you know, of course, all of my colleagues, um, but I've been focusing a lot not only on Driftwood but on Mind Medicine Australia, which is um, the charity which my husband and I launched in early 2019 to expand the treatment options to doctors and their patients for the treatment of mental illness through making psychedelic-assisted therapies available to Australians through the medical system. So we're focused on psilocybin-assisted therapy and MDMA-assisted therapy. Psilocybin is the psychoactive component of magic mushrooms and MDMA, known as ecstasy in the street, but it's not that, just to be clear. This is pure pharmaceutical-grade MDMA. And these particular medicines have been shown to gain remission rates of between 60 to 80% with treatment-resistant patients after just two to three medicinal treatments with a short course of psychotherapy which is why it's called psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy. And that's in comparison to current treatments where you're seeing a maximum of about 30% of patients getting well through current treatments like antidepressants and therapy, or in the case of post-traumatic stress disorder, trauma, only about 5% of patients go into remission from existing treatments. So effectively, the majority of people with mental illness, and we know that there's a shadow pandemic of mental illness in this country, that there's a major epidemic of depression, anxiety, addiction, you know, domestic violence, um, trauma, and a whole range of other mental illnesses that are really spiking in Australia, not let alone, you know, all the youth self-harm and suicides that are occurring and veteran suicides and addictions and so on that are occurring in Australia. And we just don't have the tools to treat all of these people who are suffering so immensely. And it really is fundamental that innovation in treatment occurs. There's actually been no innovation in treatments for over 50 years. And unfortunately, psychedelics were banned uh, in 1970 in many countries around the world because President Nixon criminalised their use. And this was not for any scientific reasons. In fact, his advisors acknowledged that they were lying about the drugs. But they did it for political reasons because they wanted to conscript people into the Vietnam War, you know, to go to the Vietnam War. And um, and they weren't able to get people to go because they were using these medicines and didn't want to have wars with people, you know, and they wanted to be peaceful. So unfortunately what that meant was that in 1970, you know, it's 50 years ago, we effectively that ban stopped all research funding, most research funding around the world. But, of course... These medicines, which are based on plant medicines, um, have been around with human civilization since the very beginning. So you can see them in the ancient Roman and Greek archaeology, for example, in, in paintings and sculptures, and you can see mushrooms and elixirs that they took, which were based on these substances, which were used for healing and raising of consciousness 
in these cultures and have you been used in Indigenous cultures and religious communities really since the beginning of human civilization, and are legal in many countries around the world. Unfortunately, Australia has tended to lag behind and is very risk-averse and, and conservative. Um, but Mind Medicine Australia was set up to build the ecosystem in Australia to educate, build awareness about these treatments and to help fund research um, and development in this country so that these medicines can become available through the medical system. And we also have a massive Mind Medicine Institute that trains practitioners with a certificate in psychedelic-assisted therapies. And by the way, that's probably the sexiest career, the amount of demand we have for that, for <laughs> yes. that profession, uh, for that training from psychiatrists, psychologists, GPs, nurses, paramedics, social workers. You know, people just really want to have that skill to work with people in an altered state to help them to get well. And the remarkable thing about these treatments is they really get to the root co cause of a person's suffering, which, of course, um, the current treatments generally don't. The, the current treatments mainly tend to be palliative. They're, they're trying to manage the problem, but they rarely get to the root cause. So these treatments are remarkable. I encourage people to have a look <laughs> at the website. Um, and, in fact, I'll share both websites now, the one for sure. Driftwood. So driftwoodthemusical.com.au, that's driftwoodthemusical.com.au. Tickets are available and are selling now um, And because it is a very limited season. And then um, mindmedicineaustralia.org. Um, and both these organisations are charities. So Driftwood's a charity and Mind Medicine Australia is also a charity. So if people feel like donating to either the future of new Australian musical and theatre works, then have a look at Driftwood, the musical, and buy your tickets to see the show. And Mind Medicine Australia, um, Peter and I are philanthropists, but we can't do this alone. And um, we're lucky that many other generous people are getting on board and ensuring that we can help people who are suffering. And this is personal for every one of us. You know, an estimated one in two of us will have a mental illness in our lives. And even pre-COVID, one in five Australians were suffering with a mental illness and one in eight were on antidepressants, including one in four adults over the age of 55. But now, Recent stats and research is showing that four out of five Australians are saying that their mental health has deteriorated during the pandemic. So we all need to come together collectively to demand our governments that they provide these treatments uh, in safely controlled environments with trained therapists to those who really need them. Absolutely. Well, well, Tanya, as always, even, even a pandemic doesn't stop the tour de force of great work you do were um, overwhelming. I'm certainly going to be coming to Driftwood. And uh, yes, now's a good time to be putting pressure on governments because we have elections coming up this year at the state and federal level and the work you're doing is just amazing. Can I thank you once again for your time on the program? Oh, no, thank you so much, Henrik. And I really hope that you and um, all your colleagues will come and Absolutely. You know, take some group bookings at Driftwood and <laughs> come and cheer cheer us on. I will. I'll, I, you'll hear me clapping and uh, cheering at the appropriate moments, Tanya. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. That was Tanya <laughs> You're a gem. That was Tanya Dijon uh, AM and um, uh, one of Australia's 
uh, most successful female entrepreneurs, performers and innovators. Uh, we'll take a short break, listeners. Don't go away. You've been listening to the Viewpoints Podcast, hosted by Henry Grossek and produced by Rob Kelly. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and rate us via Apple Podcasts. 